My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 95. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. This happens to be a True Confessions My Car Guru show. This is where I say, well, basically say what I did that I shouldn't have done back in the old days, but I don't do it anymore. I haven't done it for a long time, but I did it. And it's something that you definitely shouldn't do. And that's drink and drive. Yes, I did. Well, I was in college. Maybe a few times after college, but not much. You know, back then, if you got pulled over, which I did, with a bunch of crazy, yelling, screaming, drunk fraternity brothers in the back of my car, I was not. I was the only sober one in the bunch. But I was the one driving doing donuts in the parking lot at a bowling alley on the Clinton Highway in Knoxville, Tennessee, with three police cars witnessing the whole thing. As I pulled out, it was snowy. That's why we were doing donuts, because it was just fun. That's what we did. Back then, when it snowed, we went and spun out, did donuts and other types of uh, miraculous things. But as I was pulling out, I looked up and I saw those cop cars. And one of them was waving me over. They didn't have their lights on or anything, so I just pulled over. And he said, step out of the car, son. I did. We walked back and just to the back of the car. And he said, um, were you having fun down there? I said, yes, sir, we were having fun. And I'm sorry. I just We do this sometimes when it snows. He said, I understand. He said, have you been drinking? And I said, maybe a little bit. But what about those guys? And I said, Definitely. He said, well, just drive on back to the fraternity house and don't drive anymore tonight. And I said, yes, sir. What would have happened now? And what should have happened? They should have taken us to jail. You know, that was before all the mothers against drunk driving stuff got all the laws changed. But, you know, you think about what alcohol does just to your life in general and and what it can do to your ability to drive and And it's not just alcohol, though. It's any kind of drug, and it is a very serious matter. And I'm not not trying to make light of it because I have had friends that have been in terrible car accidents due to a drunk driver uh, not being able to control their car. And I've had customers who have died because of a drunk driver, none of their fault. And also two customers that lost their children because of a drunk driver. So that, you know, it's no laughing matter, but, you know, you look back and you think about how stupid you were. I'm not supposed to say stupid. I had a, had a school teacher call me one time and say, Mr. Lawson, you're not supposed to say that. And I said, okay, I won't say it anymore. Well, I just broke the rule. Let's call it ignorance. But whatever it is, it, it shouldn't happen, but it still does. You know, I go to a big restaurant. You know, a big restaurant, any restaurant, you know, that has a bar. And I see people just slamming them, and they'll just go out there and get in their car and drive off like it's nothing. And they don't get caught, but some of them do, and it ruins their life. I've seen what DUI uh, does to somebody's insurance costs, what it does to their reputation, you know, in the community, especially if it's somebody that's, uh, you know, well-known. Um, you know, it's just a... It's it's a disastrous thing for people. You know, getting your mug shot, you get to appear in a magazine, busted magazine, your pretty picture. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's humiliating, I'm sure. But I am fortunate that I never got caught doing it. 
Now, I haven't done it in my modern life or even in the last 40 years. But back when I was in college, I did. And uh, even a little bit in high school, unbeknownst to my parents. Uh, this is just what we did. We didn't think it was a big deal, but it really is a big deal. You know, you add that to the distraction of cell phones. I think cell phones should be banned in cars. I really do. I mean, not just discourage, banned. There ought to be something in the car that disables the cell phone signal. I think that would be a wonderful thing because I think it is leading to more accidents than probably drunk driving is. But let's not minimize that. So I'm going to give you some statistics here in just a minute right after this break. It's True Confessions Day at Gateway. Well, at my car guru. So I think that we ought to, we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to understand, you know, what the consequences are if you do get caught drinking and driving. But you owe it to your fellow citizens to never create the situation where your driving could be your ability to drive a car and control a car would be impaired. Well, I can drive just fine. You know, well, you can't. Your reaction time is dramatically less, a 12-ounce can of beer, a 5-ounce glass of wine, boy, it's a small glass, a 1.5-ounce shot of straight 80-proof liquor all contain the same amount of alcohol. So their effect on the body is the same. So what is that effect? Well, unlike most foods, alcohol can be absorbed into the bloodstream in its natural state. It's not changed at all, and it's carried straight to the brain, immediately, where it starts to impair judgment and then physical responses. That's what it does. Now, it doesn't matter if you ate a full plate of spaghetti before you downed three or four beers, a full stomach. It cannot prevent alcohol from being absorbed. It, it'll slow it down. Rich, starchy, high-protein foods do slow down absorption the most. But still, it's going to get to your brain eventually. And, you know, the thing is that uh, what a lot of people want to eat uh, when they're drinking are salty foods, which, what's that do? It makes them want to drink more. Why do you think that at bars that they serve all those snacks with a lot of salt on them? That's right. So they can get you to drink more. And so the result is that alcohol is a factor in about one half of all fatal traffic collisions in the United States. Alcohol-related traffic injuries cost U.S. taxpayers about $15 billion a year. You know, when there's a lot of people out there wrecking cars, it raises everybody's insurance rates because one of the cars they might wreck is yours. And those insurance actuarials, they study that stuff, or actuaries. They understand these ramifications. Now, studies indicate that two in five Americans will be involved in an alcohol-related crash at some point in their lives. I have not been. I've been fortunate that I've not been. I've been in some wrecks, but it's none of them were due to either me consuming alcohol or the other person. Most of my wrecks, though, were single car accidents. It was me driving too fast and um, too late at night in one case and late for school in another case in a Camaro, brand new Camaro, and I spun out going around a curve. Not good. Uh, for that reason, alcohol-related accidents are the leading cause of death among teenagers. I was a teenager. 
and uh, you know we're just not able to handle it. So uh, factors that increase the effects of alcohol are fatigue, lack of food, emotions, health, general health conditions, you know, other prescriptions that you take, and also non-prescription drugs. Um, so drivers need to, to not rely on alcohol consumption charts or guides to gauge their fitness to drive because they may be taking some type of drug. You may be taking some type of drug that amplifies the problem and the impact of alcohol on your ability to, you know, to drive, to uh, control your vehicle. And the only thing that makes the alcohol go away, it's not a cup of coffee. It's not even a bucket of water in your face. Only time rids the body of alcohol at a fairly steady rate of about one drink per hour. Drinking coffee, running, like taking a shower even, it won't help speed up the elimination of alcohol from your blood system. You could take a shower right after you had a couple of drinks. You'd still test uh, at an illegal rate by the state trooper that just pulled you over. So the next question is, well, how much alcohol is too much? Well, according to the experts, um, you can't do thing, two things at once very well, such as braking and steering, when you've had as little as 0.02% blood alcohol level, 0.02. What is illegal? Well, 0.1. So that's a small fraction that is already impairing your ability to control your vehicle. So if you go out to eat, and a lot of people do, a lot of people get pulled over and get DUI after a wonderful meal. And it's just a terrible way to end a day. So if you have one drink and you have other people with you, pick a designated driver and let them drive home. It's just not worth it. It's not worth the aggravation. It's not worth the risk that's involved to your reputation, to your wallet, and to the life and health of the other people that are on the road. So that's I had to say that. I thought this was an important subject to cover in this current environment. And I'll take my last break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. Yesterday, we were talking about names, how car companies name cars, pretty, pretty much, though, how they name their companies. And, and most of the car companies are named after a person, not Kia, probably, probably not Lexus, but companies like Honda, Toyota. Chrysler, Chevrolet, Ford, Dodge, all named after their founders. So I thought I would just continue this uh, journey, I guess, into automotive trivia and talk a little bit about some of the cool things that happen and when they happen. Like in 1916, did you know that 55% of the cars in the world were one particular type of car? That's a record that has never been beaten. Imagine that. 55% of all cars being the same car? that you're driving. Uh, and what was it? It was the Model T Ford. They were not only built in the United States. They, were, they had factories, multiple factories in Europe, some in South America, and in the Middle East in certain places like Turkey. In 1923, there were 173 new inventions for cars. Who invented them? Women. Women did. Among these inventions were the carburetor, and also an electric engine starter. I remember seeing a picture of my grandmother with her hand on the front crank on a Model T, getting ready to turn it over. Something tells me she didn't, that my grandfather probably did that. But because of that dangerous task, a woman 
was smart enough to invent the electric starter. How about that? Uh, the first car radio, when do you think that was invented? Well, it was invented in 1929. That's when the Great Depression, the stock market crash in October 1929 happened, and I guess they decided, man, in order to be able to hear the news, we better invent a radio, and that's what they did. A Buick introduced the first electric turn signals in 1938. Before that, you either stuck your arm out the window or you had what they called a little semaphore thing. You would pull this little lever, and it would just pop up like a little uh, like a little arm sticking out the side of the car. Volkswagens used that same type of turn signal in the 50s on their early Beetles. Here's another little interesting piece of trivia. You remember the Peanuts characters? Well, they were first animated in 1957 for a Ford Fairlane automobile commercial. Must have had Charles Schultz doing that for them, I would assume. And did you know, would you care, that most American car horns beep in the key of F? I didn't know that, but now I can use that to tune my guitar, I guess. Okay, what else? Oh, the environmentalists will really like this. The automobile is the most recycled consumer product in the world today. Do you do recycling? My wife is really into that. She gets so upset when I don't use the right can. You know, I'll throw the the plastic bottle in the in the paper can or something. I mean, I know it's important and I need to do better, so I'll I'll try. And have you been to a automobile race lately? Like at Bristol Motor Speedway or some road course? I have, uh, well, I go to the Petit Le Mans every year, which is a road course race at a racetrack called Road Atlanta. It's just outside of Atlanta. It's about two and a half miles long and, you know, has all kinds of left and right hand turns. You know, at, at most NASCAR tracks, the only turn is to the left. They're just going around in circles. But they do occasionally go on a road course, so I give them a little bit of credit for that. But the very first automobile racetrack, where was it? Well, the first one they claim to have existed is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So apparently they raced on dirt before that, before they actually figured out a better surface for the racetrack. What do you think their better surface was? It was actually 3 million cobblestones. Can you imagine racing 500 miles on cobblestones? in a car that has tubeless tires and going speeds close to 100 miles an hour with a passenger. See, back then, when they raced, they were actually had passengers with them. What did the passenger do? Well, he would do all kinds of things. He would handle some of the braking duties. He would actually oil the engine. He was responsible for oiling the engine while they were driving. There was a little device that he could actually lubricate the engine from inside the cab. And he'd also be the eyes in the back of the head of the driver. So race car drivers had a little bit of an advantage back then. Today, they've got spotters. You know, they've got people with these headsets, and, uh, you know, they're using binoculars, and they're telling where everybody is behind them, how far ahead they are or behind they are or you know, what kind of lap time they have, and they give them all kinds of information. Didn't have that back in in the day of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but they sure have it now, and they're essential at the speeds that they're traveling, in excess of 200 miles an hour today. I've never been that fast, but I've had the opportunity to drive some race cars before. Once was at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, 
it was called the Richard Petty Driving Experience, and we got to drive real live NASCAR race cars that were probably a couple years old. And you know, we put on the Nomex suits that you know, in case that caught on fire, um, helmets, of course, and the Hans device, which is a device that keeps your head from going forward too fast if you do run, accidentally run into something. That's one of the things that, one of the reasons that that Dale, Dale Earnhardt passed away is because he refused to wear the Hans device, and it would have kept him from uh, being involved in that fatal collision. But still, well, he'd probably still been in the collision, but he would have survived it. So anyway, back to my experience, I was probably got up to uh, in excess of 160 miles an hour on Charlotte. That's moving. It really is. I mean, it's it's something. And I would not have had the confidence to do that had I not been uh, fastened down securely with a five-point harness that, that goes over each leg, in between your legs, and over each shoulder. So you have five different connections plus the Hans device. I did not want to run into anything, but if I did, I felt like I was... Protected. You know, some of the safety advances that we've had over the years have really made a difference. I remember when shoulder harnesses first came out. Seems like it was the late 60s. Uh, we had lap belts, and then they had this little short, uh, optional shoulder harness that was attached to the roof with little clips. And you could unfold it, pull it out, unfold it, and take it down and, and attach it if you wanted to, wanted to, if you didn't want to. You just attach the lap belt. But there was no seat belt light. There was nothing saying, put on your seat belt, you know, like these buzzers do now. Well, that was mandated by the federal government. Not only uh, the warning, but the shoulder harness and the other things that we have. I remember that shoulder harness that was a, on an electric motor. I think it was in a Mazda 626. You would put your lap belt on, and then when you close the door, here it comes. And it would come over and put on your shoulder harness. Well, that was a failure as well. Some things that have come down the pike, I think it probably helped save some lives, like Elizabeth Dole. You remember her? She was the transportation secretary, I believe, and the wife of Senator Bob Dole, who ran for president several times. But Elizabeth came up with the idea of the high-mounted brake light. So now it's mandated. Everybody has one. You don't think about it much anymore, but that, you know, you had your brake lights and then you had one a little bit higher. Now, what was the justification for that? Well, they said it was because when a vehicle was stopped and you were stopped behind it, that you couldn't see when they let off the brake or had on the brake because the front of your car was covering up their brake lights. Plus, it was just more visible in the line of sight. Was that a good invention? Did that save lives? Probably. You know, it's not a bad idea. I was backing up in my F-150 just yesterday, and it stopped for me. It thought it saw something back behind my car, and it stopped. It was a very tall blade of grass, apparently, or it was a malfunction. But, you know, that's what the modern cars do. You can buy a car today that if you happen to be not paying attention because you're looking at your phone or whatever, uh, or backing up and something goes behind you, your car will automatically break for you. I think that's great. Doesn't always work, though. They say not to rely on it. Don't test it, in other words. But if you're out shopping for a new car, don't you need to ask the question, does it have blind spot monitoring? Does it have cross-traffic alert? Does it have automatic braking? 
if you're buying a modern modern car that it doesn't have those types of modern safety features, then maybe you should look somewhere else. I know both of our product lines have it as standard equipment. So if you're looking at a particular thing, I would ask that question, especially if uh, you know you've got young drivers, or you know you just are getting older and don't see as good as you used to, or don't react as good as you used to, then you might want to consider not buying a car that doesn't have these active safety features that will save you, you know, in the event of of an accident or prevent an accident in the first place. I think that's very important. So if you have any questions about this, if you want me to do a little research for you, if you have a question about buying, selling, trading, uh, servicing your vehicle, about recalls, anything like that, I'm the car guru. I do own a Ford dealership in Greenville, Tennessee, also a Nissan dealership and a used car center. I've been doing this for 45 years. My expertise is pretty deep when it comes to automotive-related issues. That's why I do this radio show. So I am the car guru, not self-proclaimed. I had a customer one day. I was talking to him about a car and telling him all the details and stuff. He said, you sound like a car guru. Well, that was the beginning and uh, have been doing this radio show for about going on 28 years now. So if you need me, call me 423-552-2020 or email me at LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll help you out. Well, I'll talk to you tomorrow.